Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Um, I was kind of wondering what the new normal was. I, I noticed the guys are preaching less. But I thought we'd go back to the old way. So, it's only 11, right? <laughs> um, and we've got a whole book to get through, so let's start with prayer and uh, look to the Lord. Father, thank you for um, the opportunity we have to be together. And Lord, where maybe we took it lightly once, but we don't anymore. It's, it's great to be together as the church body, to worship together, to just share together. And But Lord, it, without you, without your presence, it just doesn't really mean much. So that's what we expect. Where you said, Lord, where two or three are gathered in my name, they're mine in the midst. And so we trust in that. We trust, Lord, that you are here with us this morning. We, we pray that you'd speak to us, Lord. As we open up the word, we, it's only words on a page. But when the Spirit of God takes it, it's the inspired word of God. And he speaks into our hearts and we encounter the living God, and that's what we want to do today, Lord. We pray that you would encounter us, and that we would hear your voice, and we would, um, we would be different because of that. So speak to us, Lord, we pray, and uh, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Forty years ago, August 1981, I, I repented from my sin, and... Um, Turned the Lord and asked Jesus to save me. And um, I can't believe it's 40 years ago. I, 40 years <laughs> just goes by like, like the Bible says, like a watch in the night. That's kind of what it's like. It's just 40 years. Um, and I kind of experienced a come to Jesus moment, as they say, where I just realized it was true. I was sharing with somebody yesterday. I was able to give my testimony. I said, you know, it's just I investigated and I tried to understand. And, but in the end, I just had to believe it. I had to accept what the, what the Bible said, what the, the gospel said, and put my trust in, in Jesus. And, um, you know, uh, I can say that um, I've been through the best, that God has just given me so many great things, and I've been through the worst, and, and yet Jesus is still, his presence and his encouragement and his calling never cease. He's never ceased to give me his best, and I'm just really grateful for that. Um, I've learned just to keep looking to him, even when I don't know what else to do. I just keep looking to him, looking to him, looking to him, day after day, 40 years later, um, and I'm really grateful. He keeps me in his grace and in his hope, and I don't keep myself. <laughs> he keeps me. So we're looking at the book of Jude uh, this morning. Um, it's not a very long book. It's only 25 verses long. Um, it's got a lot in it. And um, so we're just going to read uh, the first uh, greeting there. Jude is servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So, you know, uh, Jude's James's brother, and James is Jesus' brother. So Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And somewhere along the way, Jude came to Christ, probably after the resurrection. Um, and Jude gave his heart, realized that his brother, his half-brother, was the Messiah. To those who are called... Beloved of God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, 
May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You're going to see that word kept quite often in this little book. So Jude, if you know 2 Peter, Jude is a lot like 2 Peter. It's got a lot of the same uh, kinds of themes and even some of the same uh, examples. And um, so it's written probably in the late 60s. You know, we've been following through the book of Acts, and uh, we believe that uh, Paul and and Peter were... uh, uh, murdered for their faith in the late 60s. And so Jude's writing around that same time, probably before the fall of Jerusalem. So it's kind of the getting toward the end of the apostolic era. And, uh, you know, and Jude says, he goes on to say, uh, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. You know, he's saying, like, I'd like to write to you about how good it is to be a believer, how good the gospel is, how good it is to, to know the Lord and, and, and to uh, worship God. And, and that's kind of the, sort of been the theme of our preaching, uh, the benefits of salvation. But he says, I found it necessary to write, appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So God kind of changed his mind. God said, no, I don't want you to write about that. Uh, if you want to read about that, uh, you just keep reading the New Testament. It's, it's loaded with that. But I want you to write about this because we're in dangerous, uncertain times. And so the idea of contending for the faith, it's not just for then, it's for us today. And I think it's very uh, timely that we're in the book of Jude. You know, um, we talk about mainstream, and true Christianity has never been mainstream. You know, you might think back to 100 years ago, everybody went to church and true Christianity was mainstream, but it wasn't. It's never been mainstream. It's always been a bit on the outside, uh, even though people may attend church and, and may even read the Bible, uh, true Bible, true believers in Jesus uh, tend to be few rather than many. And I must say, we're in a far different world in not 2021 than we were in 1981. I mean, it's radically different. Um, when I came to Christ, there seemed to be kind of a, a revival of the gospel in, in North America. People are coming to Christ all over the place. And then... Uh, we come to 2021, and it's just a different world. Uh, the morals are different. Uh, the culture is different. And uh, we need to be prepared for that. So Jude's, you know, as the world's getting flipped upside down, Jude's idea of contending for the faith is, is very applicable to us today. Yeah, you know, this whole idea of overturning. Like, I believe that God has established a natural order. You know, God created, and he created this way, and, you know, he established an order, you know, with boundaries and principles and, and truths, and, and, and now the culture is trying to flip that upside down. And it's interesting, you know, when God gives an order, then he gives orders so that we would obey his order, and we would follow his order. And if we would follow the order he has given, uh, life will go well. So, you know, I believe God's order is two genders. That's what it is. Now, you know, maybe there's gender dysphoria and all. I don't discount all that. But there's men are men and women are women. And, and yet the culture is trying to flip that so that you can't even say that anymore. Um, you know, you don't call women uh, who are mothers, you don't call them mothers anymore. You call them the birthing parent. As though men could give birth? Like, what's, what's up with that? But it's, it's, it's in a deliberate attempt to flip God's order. And, you know, we've been, uh, our generation has been led by intellectuals and influence of culture that have rejected God. And so we are 
plowing down that road of rejecting God and God's authority, and we're into really gray territory. We're really into disorder, um, and uh, it's just like Romans 1. You know, God said when people reject the authority of God, then they're going to believe a lie. And so one of the great lies that people believe today is, is evolution, that there's no God. There's no God at all. There's no creator. There's no personal creator. It just kind of happened by some, some fluke. There, there's no higher authority than human authority. And all the world needs is people working together, and we can do it. And it's a lie. It is not true. We need God more than ever. And, you know, you can either choose to believe the truth or believe the lie. That's really what it comes down to. I find it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that is once and all delivered to the saints. Um, we are in a battle in 2021 for Christian values. I, I don't kind of wonder if the world even knows what Christian values are anymore. Um, I find it interesting that as, uh, you know, the, uh, the country, uh, what I believe overly restricted worship in churches, they declared that liquor stores are an essential service. Like, isn't that weird? And it's almost like it just kind of passes over people, but I just think it's very strange. Um, you know, we've had some uh, 57 churches burned and desecrated in the last month. I don't hear a whole lot of outcry about that. It's, I heard actually from the PMO, well, it's understandable. You know, it's just kind of, let's just give it a pass. Uh, and they're not all Catholic churches. Some of them are gospel churches. I went down through the list and I was surprised at some of the churches that have been burned and desecrated. You know, imagine if it was one mosque. I'm just saying. We're in a different day in Christian values. You know, there's people who say, burn it all down. And, you know, they'd like to burn this down. Cancel culture, trying to sanitize the past, and it's just promoting more division and more hatred. Uh, the far left control the media. They control like most of the media. Uh, the universities, and they want to control you. They want to tell you what you can say and what you can think. So that's one way to contend for the faith. That's kind of the public way. And then there's the personal way. All the things that come at us as just ordinary people living in a fallen world. All the personal attacks that try to get you and I to be unfaithful. To despair and to give up. And so when Jude says contend for the faith, it's both a public thing and then a personal thing. So what does it mean to contend for the faith? I, I want to kind of make it a little more personal. Um, because we say contend for the faith or, or believe in the gospel. And sometimes we substitute those words for the most important word. And I believe the most important word is Jesus. You know, in, in uh, uh, some of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement uh, the, the phrase was say his name, say their names. And I think we need to say his name. I think we need to contend for Jesus, not just contend for the faith, as though the faith is something impersonal and somewhere out there. We need to contend for Jesus. So that's how I'd like you to think about this this morning. Um, so the Greek word is epi, uh, I can't pronounce it very well, agonizomai. And epi is just a preposition, but it makes the, the agonizomai more intense. And so it's uh, agon is the main word, it means to struggle. So it means to earnestly struggle or to earnestly contend. And I think that's the way the King James uh, translated it, is to earnestly contend. You know, to compete in a contest 
Um, we get our words agonize and agony from it, right? And a lot of that happens where we have, uh, we borrow, we anglicize Greek words. And that means to be in extreme anguish or to give great effort. Figuratively, um, it means to contend with an adversary as a combatant. So it's used in a few ways in, in the New Testament. It's not a, a very common word, but it says in Colossians uh, 4, verse 12, that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That's the same word, agonizing in prayer uh, for you. Paul said, uh, you know, fight the good fight of faith. And that word is agonizomai, and it means to struggle for the faith, to contend for the faith. And so, um, you know, it maybe is a familiar word uh, to us after all. I got a quote here. I don't know if Dave was able to. Yeah, let's just read that. Jesus is frequently misinterpreted as the poster child for tranquility, when in fact his actual teachings are warnings for navigating life. The first one being that evil wants to destroy you. Don't forget that. All this stuff against Christianity, what, what's its goal? To destroy. It's not to build up and not to make better. It's to destroy. Live like it. Most of us go on to live our actual days with the staggering naivety that the Son of God himself warned against. You have been dropped into the middle of a terrible battle, planet-wide. All those Hollywood, de Hollywood depictions of the great battle of good and evil pale in comparison to the real thing. You are a warrior in partnership with God. That is why you are here. We lose sight of that. We just kind of go about our lives and we think it's, oh, it's, it's sunny today. Oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. What a drag. And, and you know, and, 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 and we, we kind of miss the bigger picture. We, we have to be constantly reminded that there's a bigger picture and that we're in the midst of a battle between good and evil. And someday that's going to become really apparent. I'm afraid it's not going to happen until we meet the Lord and we see what's really been going on. And so I believe that, you know, when, when Jude is saying contend for Jesus, he's saying contend for Jesus as a combatant, as somebody who is in partnership with God uh, in the midst of the battle of good and evil. Now, there's a word contend, and then there's a word contentious. And so how are we supposed to contend? This is really kind of what it's all about. I, when I heard Josh's sermon from Philippians a few weeks ago, I wrote in my notes under, in the book of Jude here, I said, contend, compare with the attitude in Philippians. Because, you know, I was taking, and I was thinking, how does that square with what it says in, in Jude? Because I was thinking about this message today. And so I guess what I would say is we are to contend earnestly, but not contentiously, not carnally. We're not supposed to contend in the flesh, in the old nature, in uh, anger and wrath and all that kind of thing. Let's just look at some other scriptures to, to give us some perspective here. It says in 2 Corinthians 10.4, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We're not supposed to wage war or contend as combatants the way the world does. God expects something different from us. We're supposed to do it in a, in a spirit-filled manner, not in a manner of the flesh. Um, so for one thing, Ephesians 6.12 says, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
but against principalities, powers, and the ruler of uh, evil at high places. Um, so people are not our enemies. Now, you know, that's hard. Sometimes people seem like they're our enemies. You know, when people hate you, they're people. And they, if they hate what we stand for, people hate God. I can't strive for holiness. We're supposed to be progressing toward holiness. We're supposed to be more holy in 2021 than we were in 2020. You know, and, and so are we. We're supposed to be willing to lose our reputation. Maybe you have a reputation for being a nice person. And if you talk about Jesus, people aren't going to like you. Well... Are you willing to lose your reputation to speak his name? We're supposed to be genuinely concerned for the interests of others. We're supposed to stand up for Jesus. We're supposed to stand up for truth. We're supposed to stand up for justice, for da- the downtrodden, uh, against evil ruling powers. That's what we're supposed to do. And do it in a manner that honors Christ. The way he would do it. Right? The way he would do it. That's what 1 Peter's all about. You know, that he's an example. You know, when he was being uh, uh, persecuted and, and abused, he didn't even say anything. He just took it. And sometimes you just need to take it. And yet, you know, when he had to confront evil, he did it. He didn't shrink back from declaring the truth. Didn't shrink back from declaring the truth. I read uh, something in Psalm 46, because I don't know what's going to happen these days. It seems like we're in the last days. Of course, it seemed like that 40 years ago, to tell you the truth. Uh, But we're certainly closer now than we were then. Um, One of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That is coming. And, you know, they talk about things like sea change and, and all these huge changes, like this avalanche of change, this tsunami of change. It's uneasy. I, I get uneasy about it. And yet God says, don't be afraid. I got it under control. I know what's going on. And God's going to take care of his people. The rest of the world, people who are unrepentant and won't believe, They're not in for anything very good, according to the book of Jude. um, Verse 4, certain people. Well, I don't know if we're going to get through it all or not. I might have to skip some. Or you might have to skip lunch. I don't know. Um, Certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. One of Jude's favorite words, by the way. Ungodly in this uh, book about five times, who pervert the grace of God and the sensuality and deny our only master and Lord. Who are the certain people? Well, you know, uh, some of them are uh, professors who kind of slithered in and, and continue to indoctrinate youth in evolutionary theory. As though it's kind of normal. And so that's the settled truth. I'm reading a book by Michael Bay. He called uh, Darwin Devolves. It's an excellent book that just came out this summer. And you know, he says, with what they've discovered in molecular science in the last dozen years or so, blows Darwinism right out of the water. Darwinism, well, it was certainly true in the 80s and 90s, but they've discovered so much more. You were probably taught 
You know, I was back in grade school, what a cell was. And it was this blob, and we colored it red. And then we put in the middle another little blob, a dot of green. And that was a cell, and they called it the simple cell. It was just simple. It's so simple. But now we're finding out there's all kinds of machinery in cells. There's engines, and there's gears, and there's all kinds of processes. It's so complicated. It's more complicated than your car. On the mo a molecule... How big is a molecule? Well, it's really small. You can't see it. How complicated is the universe God created? It's so complicated, it blows your mind if you look at it. Who else are the certain people? Well, teachers who indoctrinate this generation into making Marxism popular. I kind of is surprised at that. I remember when, when Ben was in university in the 2006, 7, 8, whatever, and he was telling me about all the Marxism he was learning and all the communism. And I was thinking, really? Wasn't that discredited, you know, in the 90s when it failed, basically worldwide? Well, no, it hasn't gone away. Um, I don't know if you noticed, you probably have, if you watch... Uh, you know, protests at, at big events like maybe the G7. This is going way back into the 90s, late 80s, right up to present day when all these people show up with their face covered and they start burning cars and, and, and stuff like that and they call them anarchists. And I was thinking, well, who are these anarchists anyway? Are they, are they far-right crazies or, or what are they? Well, no, actually, most of them are university students. And university students are being steeped in Marxism and Marxism says basically two things that uh, they, they're really kind of grabbing on to today. One, violence is okay because the goal is anarchy, to completely overturn society and get rid of this Western Christian capitalism stuff we got and bring in Marxism, we sweep it all out. We're not gonna, they don't wanna wait till we all die off, although that's what we're doing, generation dying off, a new generation, I'm not gonna wait for that. Violence is okay, we wanna destroy it. And that is what's going on. And where does it come from? Well, it basically comes from the university. And who else are the certain people? Preachers who are giving up Bible truth for popular opinion or personal advancement and failing to preach the whole counsel of God. Um, I don't want to, want, to be the, want, want to be one of those. Verse 5, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, so Jude's going to remind us. So he wants us to contend for Jesus. And then he's talking about Jesus himself as the judge. So we need to trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do, which is to judge this world. Uh, Jesus said all the judgment has been committed to the Son. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, you thought, oh, that was God in the Old Testament that did that. Well, that was Jesus too. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, the same God. It wasn't this angry God of the Old Testament, now this nice, meek and mild Jesus of the New Testament. It's the same God. Always been the same God. There's only one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He saved the people of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And, of course, that was some of the people that were... Uh, brought out through the Exodus, and they disobeyed God, and, and, and God took them out. Verse 6, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, 
but left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Um, you know, God judged Israel and took out of Israel those who were unbelievers and those uh, they were judged. And he, he, he reserved the true believers and he took out the false believers. Then when the angels were tested, you know, before the beginning of time, uh, God, uh, he gave them a test. He allowed them to choose. You're going to follow Satan or are you going to follow me? And some of the angels chose to follow Satan. And the Bible says about a third of them rebelled and they were thrown out. And uh, those are the demons of today. Um, and you know, I'm not going to get into this whole thing of who are these angels and, and uh, what did they do. But there is a connection to Sodom and Gomorrah because Jude makes it in the next verse. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So there's some kind of an equation going on here. And, and uh, you know, angels, fallen angels related to Genesis 6. Uh, I'm not going to get into that because it's, I don't believe anybody really knows. Uh, but it's one of those mysteries. Um, but let me just say this. Jesus will judge all who are unrepentant about their sexual sin. Um, you know, we, we accept sexual sin as so normal today. We don't even know what the orders are. We've forgotten what the order is. We've forgotten what, what God has said. Um, and maybe we haven't forgotten it, but we, we don't tend to live by it. And that includes everybody. Um, we're not supposed to hate people. Okay? We cannot hate people. And we live in a democratic, free country, and if people want to live a certain way, they can do that. I don't decide for them, and neither do you. But we have to call unfaithful or unnatural sex what the Bible calls it. And the Bible calls it sin. Now, I'll tell you, the world hates this message. This idea of punishment by eternal fire, people hate that message. I hated it once, but then I come under the conviction that it applied to me. Oh, that's a different story now. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Now I'm in danger. And I became fearful. I, I was afraid to fall into the hands of the living God. And it motivated me to start seeking God and finding out about salvation because I, I realized I needed to be saved. I, didn't want, I don't want to give account for my sin. Oh my gosh. There'd be no giving an account on the day of judgment. Nobody's going to stand up at the day of judgment and say, but God, listen, you, you don't understand what I had to go through. God, you don't understand, you know, uh, I couldn't trust you. Look at the mess you made of this world. There's going to be none of that. Nobody's going to talk back to God. Nobody. Jude has some of the most condemning language in the Bible. He even says people were designated for this condemnation. Why? Because they refused to believe and, and repent. So this is just kind of a reminder that Jude says, I want to remind you that God has not changed his mind about judgment. God wants to remind us that though theologians may change their mind, and they do, and though Christians may change their mind and soften judgment and soften, 
Jude's reminding us that God has not changed his mind. He has not changed his mind. And people can parade and celebrate their sin and call it good, but Jesus will keep them or reserve them over for judgment if they're unrepentant, period. That's the word of the Lord. Hey, we're doing all right. Verse 8, yet in like, like manner these people. So he's talking about the people who crept in. And, you know, he tends to be, you, know, you get the idea from the early church and all they went through that there was a lot of false people who come in and profess to be believers uh, but really weren't. Um, I don't know how great that is in our case in the church today. I know it happens. I know every, it seems like every month you hear like some big mega church pastor or some, you know, division, corruption, uh, you know, uh, um, just all kinds of stuff, sexual immorality, all that stuff going on, and it's, so it's still happening. Um, these people relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Um, so these false people, uh, they tend to be physically immoral. It, it shows up eventually. Um, now, you know, maybe... Uh, I mean, if you're breathing, you're probably tempted to be immoral. Um, but you're not supposed to give in to that. You're, not, you're supposed to resist the temptation and be moral and, and follow the orders of God and stay within the bounds and obey God. That's what we're supposed to do. Some people just can't seem to help that. Uh, these uh, people tend to be intellectually arrogant and spiritually deny the Lord. And, and it just kind of reminds me of not so much the false or corrupted believers in the church. It's just the world in general. The arrogance um, that, that seems to be accepted. But when you think about um, false, false prophets, you know, they, they rely on their dreams. Um, these are people who value prophetic dreams above God's word. Listen, there's been, there was so much false prophecy going on particularly surrounding the U.S. politics and election in the last year and a half and, and COVID and all that. Now, not just the U.S., but here too. False prophets. Christians saying, this is going to happen, thus saith the Lord. And they were wrong. And a lot of them just keep perpetuating the same stuff. And a lot of Christians keep believing it. And the Bible says, if a prophet says this is going to happen and it doesn't happen, they're a false prophet, don't listen to them. That's what God says. Don't listen to them. I, I heard some really incredibly crazy things coming out of the mouth of false prophets. And, and then Christians spreading that and it you know, goes all over the internet and everybody thinks it's true. They reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. Here's the example. And you know, I, this is kind of an incredible example. When the archangel Michael like kind of like the top angel, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. So Moses, God took Moses' life on, on Mount, uh, what was that mountain? Overlooking the promised land. And um, it says that God buried him. So I'm going to get the idea, well, God must have sent Michael to bury him, to take care of the body of Moses. And the devil wanted the body of Moses. 
Because the devil probably thought, boy, if I could get a hold of that body of Moses, I could, it could be like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. I could do stuff with that. I could corrupt Israel with that. And so Michael's contending with the devil. He says he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. He didn't go on railing against the devil and calling down the devil and, and speaking evil of the devil. That's what blaspheme means, to speak evil of. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So you, we need to get a lesson from that. We ought to be careful about what we say, even about the devil. If we're going to rebuke, we better say the Lord rebuke you. We don't have any authority to rebuke anybody like that. All, all we can do is say what God has said. But these people blaspheme or speak evil of all they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. It just comes out of their flesh. It comes out of their corrupt nature. And it's, there's nothing godly about it. Now this information, uh, you wonder, well, how did, how did Jude know what happened there? Well, this is actually... Uh, possibly, it seems, come out of a, an apocryphal book that's called The Assumption of Moses. And so we don't believe that The Assumption of Moses is inspired, but obviously a part of it was true. And, you know, so Jude, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, put this in here because that's what happened. There was a contention over the body of Moses. This is how Michael uh, handled the devil. Then he goes on to talk about uh, some of the marks of false prophets, of people who are in error. They walk in the way of Cain. Well, what was the way of Cain? Well, the way of Cain was God said, I want you to do this, and Cain said, I'm going to do this. God said, I want you to worship me with a blood sacrifice. Cain said, I got some produce I'll offer you. God approved of his brother Abel, because he obeyed God's uh, way of, of salvation, and, and, and Cain murdered him. That's the way of Cain. The rejection of the authority of God. And making up their own way to worship. You know, um, churches fail and close when they stop preaching the gospel. They do. God forbid that ever happened here. He compares them to Balaam. For the sake, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of Balaam. If not, you can go back in Numbers and read it. Uh, Balaam was brought in to pronounce prophecies against Israel. And uh, he wouldn't do it. But uh, what he did do eventually was... Um, he seduced Israel, and it's kind of almost confusing to read the New Testament commentary on it. He seduced Israel that they could sin with impunity because God could only bless them. And so he got them to have sex with Moabite women as part of worship. See, that's what was so attractive to the Israelites of the Old Testament. The Canaanites, they could have temple prostitutes. You could go to worship and have sex with somebody else that wasn't your wife, and that was probably pretty popular. And they said, oh, we're worshiping God. And God said, no, you're not. You're worshiping yourselves. That's got nothing to do with me. Balaam was greedy for money, which is a mark of false preachers. 
They perished in Korah's rebellion. If you remember Korah, he offered false fire before the Lord. Well, how was it false? Because God did not give him permission to do that. He took the place of the high priest. He wasn't allowed to offer the, uh, the fire and the incense, but he did it anyway. He usurped the authority of God. He said, I can do that. I'm going to do that. And so he did, and God opened up the ground and swallowed the whole bunch of them up. They rebelled against God's chosen leaders. And God took them alive to the pit of hell. God does not take lightly the rejection of the church's ordained leadership. So just a reminder, be careful who you speak against and what you say. Because you'll be judged by what comes out of your mouth. By your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Be careful. And then he goes on this rant. Like this is something. This is like really colorful language. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. It's all like you're on a love boat and you, you hit a reef and you sink. You know, that's not good. Uh, they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds. Especially in a dry country like Israel, a waterless cloud was pretty useless. Swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. That, that's not much good for anything. Twice dead. You know, first death, second death. Uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Man. That's the condemnation. That is the judgment that awaits. Verse 14, it was also about these at Enoch. The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, this is the quote taken from the book of Enoch, which is another apocryphal book that we don't consider inspired because it's got some strange stuff in it. But this seems to be true because God put it in his inspired word. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You get the point? You don't want to be numbered with the ungodly. Because God is going to execute judgment on all the ungodly. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. There's marks. These people are marked with these things. Don't you and I be marked with these things. I want to be marked with Jesus' things. I want Jesus' words and Jesus' attitude coming out of me. I don't want any of this. And, you know, I confess sometimes I see myself in this. I don't want that. I abhor that. I reject it. I repent of it. And I say, Lord, just fill me so more of you can come out of me. This word um, ungodly is uh, the Greek word asibis, and it means the irreverent or the wicked. You know, we're condemned uh, as Bible-believing Christians for talking about God's judgment. Um, I listened to a podcast by Albert Moeller last month, and it was pretty interesting. This is basically what he said. We live in the most judgmental generation in history. 
He said, the culture in the 1990s, the mantra was, don't you judge me. Don't judge me. This is true for me. It might not be true for you. Don't judge me. That's what everybody was saying. Well, today, it's not like that. It's basically, if you don't agree with us, we will judge you. You are haters and racists and all these things, and they feel quite arrogant to judge everybody. And it just, it's just everywhere. It's, it's kind of incredible. You know, and uh, there used to be a byword back in the early 2000s, tolerance. Uh, you don't hear much of that anymore because there isn't any tolerance. There should be tolerance with us. We shouldn't be judging people. We should only be saying what God says. Let God judge people. Last point. Verse 17, but you must remember, I want to remind you, I want you to remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. There's another ungodly, that's six. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. You know, uh, I've been kind of wondering, you know, when, uh, what's going to happen to the church after this pandemic? Um, I think a lot of pastors are wondering the same thing. Uh, and I've been sort of thinking, well, you know, maybe in September we'll get a clear picture of where this is going. Um, I mean, I you know, look out today and, you know, we're about, about half of what we would normally have. Um, and we don't have a children's ministry, and that'll start up in September. But I don't know what people are going to do because uh, there's different opinions and different uh, ideas about uh, the, um, the level of risk and all that. Um, but I tell you, whatever we do, and whatever you think, we cannot allow that to divide the church. Because it'll try to divide the church. It'll try to get you to look down on your brother or your sister, and you can't do that. So just re be reminded of that. Yeah, that's the sign right there. So I want to close with saying this, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep your faith. Contend for the faith. Contend for Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Keep your love for Jesus. Like, you got to give it all you got. Um, just want to say this about scoffers and carnal people causing divisions. I, I don't know if you realize this. You probably do, but maybe I could spell it out. The left... That's the left. The left and the right employ a deliberate strategy when it's politics or media. And the strategy is called polarization. And the design, the design is we are going to inflame every issue to get people mad and to get people riled up so that they'll pick us or pick them. And we buy into it as Christians. We cannot buy into that. We cannot let that inflame us. Uh, we need to listen to Jesus Christ, not this polarization. And we also need to draw strength from these New Testament prophecies. Um, these times were predicted. We're living in the midst of what I believe are last days, and I think it could get, well, it could, it's going to get worse. And we've got to be ready. Like, we've got to plant our feet and be ready. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. How do you build yourselves up in the faith? Well, I saw something that I think Donald McClellan posted a few weeks ago. Every once in a while you see something really good on, on Facebook. And this was an article. Uh, it was a uh, Jared Wilson um, Gospel Coalition. How to disciple your kids into church dropout status. I think it kind of applies for all of us. Oh, if you, wanna, if you, want, uh, uh, you want to badly influence your family about church, number one, attend church sporadically. If you treat church like an option, your children will too. Yep. Number two, complain about your church. If you complain about something, your kids are going to have a negative opinion about it because the, your opinion is the most important opinion that they know of. Number three, insulate them from the rest of the body. One of the great things about family camp was we had adults and kids right down in the suds and, 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 and the ball games and all that. Um, that's, that's how we should live. Number four, ignore their crucial questions. Number five, church hop. Don't church hop. If you're happy, stay planted. If you're not happy, go somewhere else and stay planted. Don't church hop. Number six, marginalize or muzzle the gospel. Just make it about somebody else. Um, how are you going to build yourselves up in the faith? Get back to church. Uh, you know, I, I got to drive an hour to get here. Do you know that? And uh, sometimes we're really booting. <laughs> um, I come, come down uh, heading for the uh, Falling Mountain this morning, and, and I'm always kind of watching for the police because I've been stopped before. And, um, you know, uh, the times I've been stopped, I've been going to a church meeting, and the cop would say, where are you going in such a hurry? Well, I'm preaching this morning at Faith Baptist Church. Oh, he says, proceed. Don't let me get in the way of that. <laughs> Seriously. Another time I was going, I was heading for Sackville to the, the pastor's cluster, and he said, where are you going in such a hurry? I said, I got this pastor's meeting I'm going to, and Sackville runs up. Oh, he said, proceed. Don't let me get in the way of that. Uh, but I, I'm not, I don't want to presume that that's going to happen the next time. It could be 400 bucks. Um, I got to drive an hour. When church was, you know, first offered last year, Glenn and I would sit in our sunroom and drink coffee in our pajamas. Oh, it was great. No hour drive there and back. It was good. I really enjoyed it. I thought the worship come across good. The preaching was good. It was all good. But I really missed people. I miss people. We're two old people. You know, I miss being around young people, uh, people that, uh, you know, kids that just fill your life with energy and other Christians that uh, just build, we build one another up. We need each other. Um, and I'd say nothing. If you're too caught up in this polarization and you're too mad and, and, and you're too depressed about the news, turn it off. You have an option. Just turn it off. Quit looking at it so often and, and maybe look at the Bible more. That's my recommendation. Now to him, verse 24, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Hallelujah. We all stumble, but he's able to keep us from stumbling. To present you blameless. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I can hardly believe that, that I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say you're blameless. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I know me. I don't, I'm not worthy of being called blameless, but Jesus took my blame for me. 
and we made an exchange in August 1981. I said, Lord, take my sin. And he said, okay, I'll give you my righteousness. Wow. I've never gotten over that. Able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Can you imagine Jude writing this in about 68 AD, looking down at us in 2021? He had no clue. He had no idea. But somebody was looking. The Son of God was looking right at us when this was being penned. And he's looking at us now. We, we were going to close with a song, and we're not able to get the video um, put up. But uh, the song is called um, Let It Be Jesus by Christy Knuckles. And, um, it's got this line in it. It's just, the line is, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. No other name I will proclaim. Let it be, let it be, let it be Jesus. Galatians 2.20, for me to live is Christ. I hope you can say that. It's my hope that this sermon will just, you'll be able to just get your hands into Jesus more. That you'll be able to speak up for Jesus. That you'll be able to live for Jesus instead of living for yourself or living for the world. That's what the world needs to see. They need to see us living for Jesus. Um, thank you for your attention and uh, it was a little longer than it's been, but it's still not 12 o'clock yet, so <laughs> hallelujah. Um, uh, would you stand with me for prayer? Father, thank you for uh, this little book. There's so much in it. There's so much more that could be said, but Lord, we get the point. You want us to contend for the faith. You want to trust in the name of Jesus. You want to, us to keep ourselves close to you. And Lord, above all that, you are the one who keeps us. And I just thank you, Lord, that you were able and willing and pleased to keep us from stumbling. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that as we go forward, that we would be an example to an unbelieving world of what Jesus Christ is like, of what God is like, that we would be graceful and humble and loving and kind and merciful and truthful. Lord, it's not an easy task, but uh, we trust that by your Holy Spirit, you'll give us the strength and the power to do so. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.